Interesting. They're a really horny animal. Oh, the sexuals. Yes. We didn't come up with the stripper names. They chose us. Yo, this is your boy Gallagher, and welcome back to Common Conversations. Let's talk about sex. This is episode five. Um, and if you've been with us on previous, you know that we were talking about pleasure. We're talking about all things health, equity as it relates to sexual uh, health and, and pleasure. I keep going health and pleasure. So it's health and pleasure, right? And then experience and there's research. And then we've brought in some experts and then we are all experts in our own right. Um, but I got my squad with me today. And so minus one, because she's over there. You just can't see her. Uh, she'll be in um, probably later. But uh, yeah, so we've got a great guest with us as well. So this episode is all about talking to children um, as it relates to sex. And so last episode, we talked about consent uh, on two different platforms. So three and three and two. It's kind of neat to count backwards, three and two. Uh, but this one is about sex education for our children, right? How do we, how do we raise them? Um, what were our experiences that really kind of brought us into adulthood, the things that we know about sex and didn't know about sex? Um, and then Lexi here, we'll introduce Lexi as, as we get into it. We'll have an opportunity to share with us um, from a Planned Parenthood, from an expert uh, standpoint as well, you know, what we ought to and what they do to prep. But getting into it, um, who... who how we you know we didn't discuss this. You want to introduce yourselves? I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> She's ready. I'm ready. Let's get it. My name's Reese. I am a PhD student in the School of Public Health at U of L. I study res- I research pleasure, and I got my fun fact today. All right, let's get it. Okay, <laughs> I didn't have it yesterday, but I had it today. My fun fact: Did you know that dolphins have been known to show bisexual tendencies? Let's yes. get it. No, I did not know that. I didn't either. Interesting. They're a really horny animal. I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. Because I've heard about dolphins wanting to love their trainers. Yeah. 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 They're the a really horny is animal. like really okay. high. Yeah. yeah. Am yeah. I the only person that missed this? Well, you and Miguel. I'm thinking really. like free willy. Like, so. <laughs> oh. no, they have like the highest libido in the animal kingdom. It's They're becoming it's my wild. favorites. Yeah. Flamingos also, they're up there. I don't know anything about flamingos. You should look up. I'm going to look up flamingos. You would like flamingos. Okay, let's get it. I'm going to look up a flamingo. (laughs) Look up flamingos. I'm going to have something for the next episode at least. Yeah, you're going to have a flamingo fun fact. Done deal. (laughs) And doctor. I'm flustered. You're flustered. (laughs) The doctor's got you flustered. (laughs) My whole. SeaWorld is just devastated now, right? It's going to be different. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of, you got dolphin colors on today. You are. You're Now we're back to labeling. Team dolphin. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. (laughs) Ashley Anderson. I'm a women's health nurse practitioner. Um, have functioned that way for the last 15 years. Actually started my career playing parenthood as a nurse practitioner for seven years and very happy to have Lexi here today. I don't have any cool fun facts. <laughs> no don't cool have fun facts. But that was enough for all of all us. All right, I think we can mm-hmm. share that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I need to meditate need on that. <laughs> just, just, just a minute. Two minutes. No, probably just, just, like till the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, That's then valid. Then and so Lexi, like, we have Lexi Overstreet who is with Planned Parenthood. Um, do you want to share a little bit about who you are and, and what you do in Planned Parenthood? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, my name is Lexi. Um, I work at Planned Parenthood. I've been around since 2019 doing a lot of different things for Planned Parenthood. Um, right now I'm the regional field organizer for Louisville. So that pretty much means I get to organize policy stuff, sex education stuff around the Louisville community and bring it to Frankfurt, um, our capital, and talk about it with legislators. So I'll be like, this is a really big concern of this area of Louisville, and this is a concern of this area of Louisville. This is a general concern. Um, And I bring that to legislators to help people who don't have the access to get there. 
Um, but I also get to work with our amazing, and I'm an alumni of the program too, Teen Council, um, where we teach peer-led sex education to K through college students, um, which is super awesome and super fun. Um, and as an alumni of the program, I'm just super biased towards loving it. So um, I do all of that. Um, I help with reproductive justice curriculums and things like that. Um, I just really am passionate about education and educating young people. So. All right, that's super cool. Can I jump in? You can do whatever you, you like. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you like. So you mentioned um, that the program that you work with is K through college, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the past like several episodes, we've had some conversations about at what point do you think it's appropriate to start introducing um, sex ed type of concepts to children. So can you talk about the spectrum of what you do? Like how yeah. is the programming that the kindergartners, first grades or whatever how does that differ from maybe the kids in middle school to the kids mm-hmm. in high school? Um, just to kind of help people wrap their heads around what's being taught to kids at that younger age. Yeah, so um, I can speak on what I've experienced in the program. So because of Senate Bill 150 that just passed this past legislative session, you cannot teach in elementary schools um, sexuality education. Um, and the political landscape has been a little difficult in teaching that since 2019, the whole time I've been working with the program. So I can't really say what an elementary school curriculum would look like if my personal opinion should be consent and healthy relationships and talking and learning to say body parts and things like that. But I can't say that that's what Planned Parenthood does because I haven't been able to experience that with Planned Parenthood. Um, but I have been around for middle school education, um, which would be the earliest that I've seen. I um, mean, it's a lot of talking about puberty, talking about periods, talking about healthy relationships, consent, um, a little bit of STDs, um, just getting young people prepared for the life experiences they choose or choose not to have. Um, So, and then high school gets a little bit more, depending on how many lessons we're able to teach. Um, We do reproductive justice. We do sexuality and gender education, like all of that stuff. Um, However, it's gotten a little um, held back because of Senate Bill 150 and the harsh restrictions that's put on us. Um, And do you want me to explain what Senate Bill 150 is? Yeah, please. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Senate Bill 150 was just passed this past legislative session in 2023. That's the year. Yes. Um, And so that was pretty much limiting sexuality education. Definitely none of it in elementary schools. Um, It bans gender affirming care in the state of Kentucky um, for trans and non-binary folks. Um, And it creates talking about the landscape of talking about gender and sexuality very difficult um, because there are rules and regulations in that bill that say you can't talk about it. Um, And so now we're kind of in the process of navigating that landscape of how is Planned Parenthood going to keep showing up in the community and educating and being there for the LGBTQ plus community while following the law. Um, And so that's kind of what we're in the process of now. Um, I kind of trailed off your question, but um, yeah. So So as as we think about you're you're educating children, right? Mm -hmm. How often does that play into their parents? Right, because you're teaching kids one thing, and then they go home, and if the parents are not in alignment with what you're educating them, that that could either go away or turn into something completely different. Yeah, of course. Um, I will say we have some classes. Um, well, now because of Senate Bill 150, you need um, parental consent to teach sex education and things like that. So the parents' role is very prevalent, um, especially now. Um, but of course, I I mean I come from a single parent household, um, a low income household and we didn't my parents weren't necessarily like stigmatizing sex but we didn't talk about it 
Um, and I can say that like having, and I didn't really have any sexuality education in high school. I think that really hurt me. And I learned a lot of stuff from Planned Parenthood that was extremely beneficial, like the use of pronouns and different types of pronouns and things you don't even think about when you're talking about sex ed. And I learned more about consent and what a healthy relationship could look like and all of that stuff. So, I mean, the parents' role is crucial because they are their kids, but at the same time, we want to make sure every child has an equitable opportunity to this information. So, go ahead. Um, you mentioned, like, that you didn't have, your parents didn't really talk much about sex education mm -hmm. with you, and that's something we've kind of touched on in some other episodes as well. What's Planned Parenthood doing to educate parents on how to have those conversations with their yeah, kids? Great question. Um, so, our youth program actually does a friends and family night, mm -hmm. um, and where we try to invite as many parents, uh, the parents of the people in the program, but also like friends, parents, anyone. Um, and we try to advertise as best we can every year, um, but we do leave it up to the high schoolers to advertise so the demographic tends to stay around that area. Because yeah. our peer education program is just made up of the high schoolers. Um, and so we invite parents into the office. We bring them to Planned Parenthood. We show them what we're working on. We show all the diagrams. Um, we're completely transparent about What's being a like... So like a diagram of like um, what a vagina looks like or a vulva or like a penis or like our reproductive justice timeline that we have hanging up in the hallway of, um, you know, reproductive justice from the 1700s to now, good and bad. Um, Give me an example. <clears throat> so we talk about, like, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and okay. her really harmful eugenicist takes and how the birth control pill was founded and formed and made and all of that and the way it really negatively impacted black and brown communities, specifically Puerto Rican communities, black women, history of OBGYNs, especially in Kentucky, um, because of uh, McDowell, who was a really awful OBGYN towards yeah. black women and really mistreated them. And we try to be really transparent about that, but we also talk about the wins, like when Roe v. Wade was originally created and things like that, and how Planned Parenthood has changed over time to try to be more encapsulating of all identities. Um, but we still like to honor that not necessarily honor, but talk about the history of... Well, just being honest. Yeah, being honest. Being honest um, about the history. And I think that is probably one of the things in this country that we don't do well. Is yeah. paying homage to the truth. Yeah. And I think that is... It's important, and I think um, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. I think one of the first things, because I grew up with a really... Um, my mom is really um, mentally ill, and so there was, like, when we talk about eugenesis... Um, talking about the way people like that were treated. Um, and so it really like struck me that I was like, we need to talk about this because this is people's real lived like experiences that are still affecting them today. And it's generational and the eugenics, the eugenics movement like isn't gone just because it happened 80, 90 years ago. Like it's still very much around now. And Planned Parenthood played a role in it. And I think it's super important that Planned Parenthood owned that. Um, and I try as an employee there to talk about it. Um, like when people bring it up, I think it's just something we should talk about like anything else. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I, I want to shift. You, you said something about talking to youth as it relates to healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I would love to hear from um, Reese and, and Doc too. You know, what, what does, what, what is that? Uh, what does a healthy relationship look like, whether it's LGBTQ, heterosexual, for, for yeah. kids? Yeah, so I mean, part of it, um, as someone who's queer myself, like talking about, finally when I went to Planned Parenthood was when I got to learn about queer relationships. And so one of the prompts we give is we have this activity where we have them show like green, yellow, or red flags. 
Um, So we'll read a prompt and then they hold up, the um, teenagers will hold up like a green, yellow, red flag according to how the prompt should go. And one of the prompts is um, you are out to your family, but your partner doesn't want to be out to your family. So your relationship has to be a secret. Is that a red, yellow, green flag? Mm. Um, And it's a really convoluted statement. Um, And so that was, we were able, you know, people put up all different types of colors, but really the point is to have a conversation. Um, And so being able to have a conversation that, you know, you may think, oh, well, how often does that happen? It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was in a relationship with a woman who was not out to their family. And, you know, it just, I remember being, feeling very seen and being like, okay, yeah, this was an experience I had, an issue I had with a relationship. And now we're all having a conversation about whether this was healthy or unhealthy. And at the end of the day, it's kind of dependent on the situation. Um, Like that one, you know, it was healthy for us because it wasn't a big deal to me that we have Instagram photos out and everything like that. But it might be a big deal to someone else. Yeah. And that's okay. You just have to communicate and talk about it. And um, so that's just a really good example I could think of. But I, I like the idea of the green, yellow, and red flags because it brings the context in. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's, there's no one size fits all healthy relationship, but right. it brings in the context of, well, in this situation, it looks like this. And in this situation, a healthy relationship looks like this because it looks different for different people. Yeah. I'd like to circle around because I do a lot of deep, well, yeah, I do quite a bit of domestic violence and a personal violence mm-hmm. um, work and, and production. Um, and both, you know, how do we prep our kids or does Planned Parenthood, you know, have a space for this? And, and Doc, you, you're raising two boys. Uh, you know, how do we prep our children in a sense of understanding what domestic violence looks like? Um, understanding that there's, it's on a spectrum, right? We have extreme, which is m- what we most speak of, right? Yeah. Which is physical violence. But then how do we talk about emotional, mental, economic, and all the other mm-hmm. levels that come in that space um, and preparing them for that? Oh, yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. I think it's um, domestic violence. I think a lot of people don't think it happens as often as it does, but it happens all the time. Um, And so with the same activity, we have some that we try to make very blatantly like this is a red flag. And so one of those statements, we have one that's like, um, your partner is telling you what you should or should not wear, Um, like explicitly telling you you can wear this, you can't wear that. Um, unless, you know, like you're in an adult consensual BDSM type of relationship where the, that's what's going on. But if it's not a consensual thing, it's like someone else forcing pressure on what you should or shouldn't do. We always like to highlight and blatantly be like, that is an abusive behavior. It can lead to other types of behaviors. And this is a red flag um, type of situation. So we try to have really blanket statements like that that are um, pretty blunt. And being like, yeah, so there are actually some things in healthy relationships that can't be solved by communication. They are abusive in nature. So, yeah. Doc, how would you, you know, so for your boys, it's a little different because we don't think about men mm-hmm. being in domestic violent relationships unless they are the aggressor. But mm-hmm. we, I know there's a combination of both, right? Because there are a lot of men who get into relationships. Um, and, and even in the LGBTQ community, men on men violence in that relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you, how do you prep your boys for or are they too early? Is it too early? No, you know, I think there's kind of like the sex ed, <clears throat> excuse me, but there's layers and levels to that. And I think it, it starts early with empowerment. And and um, like, I think we talked about in another episode, um, empowering them to have autonomy over their bodies, to know when, what feels good to them is, is a yes. And things that don't feel good or make them uncomfortable is a no. Um, and even if, you know, there's women that are extremely controlling about what men wear and there's, you know, that 
it happens on both sides of the of the spectrum. And I think that raising boys who have self-efficacy, believe that they can do anything, that they deserve the best, that they um, should, you know, have agency over their own bodies and minds. Um, I think that's a starting point at this age. So as they get older, when they, if they encounter a partner or a potential partner that is threatening that in some capacity, they can recognize that and say, no, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. Um, And then also, again, having relationships with myself and other men in their lives where they can communicate and talk about that and get sound advice. So, mm-hmm. I know, it's, it's a lot. I, I just, I, a lot comes to mind, right? I just did a show um, about a week or so ago and it came up, we were, we were looking at stats in Clark County, which is across mm-hmm. the river. Uh, so Clark County, Indiana, if you're watching or listening, um, in 2020 through 2021, it was like a 198% increase in domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And yeah. out of that, there were 98 deaths. And this is in a county where there's less than 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. And that so makes it's, a lot of sense. Yeah. 2020, you say? Yeah. When yeah. COVID, COVID, when we were all home and yeah. you weren't allowed to leave and nobody's really getting a break from these unhealthy relationships, if they're having these unhealthy mm-hmm. relationships, um, you're stuck in the house, you're stressed, you're scared because the world is ending. Um, that. That's that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I also think about the kids who witness this, right? So these mm-hmm. are these are our, our young folks who are going to journey in this, and they ultimately end up becoming adults, right? And so how do we prepare them? You know, does and and maybe Planned Parenthood doesn't play a part in this life. I don't know, but mm-hmm. is there something that you all do that really kind of address those kind of situations? I mean, I think Planned Parenthood being in the community and making it comfortable to. I think there's a lot of things that go into talking about domestic violence, like you know, being able to comfortably say, like, no, and having mm-hmm. autonomy and being able to say, like, anatomical parts, like, you wouldn't think that plays any role in domestic violence, but being able to feel like you have autonomy and growing up being like, okay, yes, like, I have a penis, I have a vagina, like, and th- I can say yes or no what people do with this, that actually plays a huge role in, like, how consent is talked about in a relationship and how that would impact domestic violence. And I would say Planned Parenthood's role is just showing up in the community and then also, um, We are a clinic, too. So, you know, like when patients come back, um, they come back by themselves and there's a screening that they go through where it's like, are you in a safe situation? Um, And things like that that I think is helpful. I mean, the best lesson we have and one of my favorites, I think, is healthy relationships um, because it encompasses all things. And like the, you know, red, yellow, green flag game is supposed to be kind of like having conversations and stuff. But those conversations have a big impact. And you know, that impact is that when people find themselves in those situations, maybe they refer back to that activity and they're like, oh, you know what? I remember talking about this and maybe this isn't right. Uh, Maybe this isn't healthy. Maybe this is a red flag. And it's just trying to get that association started so that if you find yourself in a negative or a domestic violence situation, you have the tools and you have the empowerment, like you said, to get out of that situation however you can. Um, So I think Planned Parenthood's biggest role is just one, the clinic staff are always observant and on top of trying to help. I mean, maybe you can speak more to that, but trying to get patients in a safe space. Gotcha. Um, and then policy and education, we really try to advocate. Like, I know that the policy department, whenever there's domestic violence legislation, we want to help the victims as much as possible, the survivors as much as possible. Um, and the education department is constantly pushing healthy relationships, consent, talking about it, saying the right parts, having autonomy, having freedom of your body, agency of your body. Um, and I think all three of those sectors of Planned Parenthood work really hard together to create this sense of agency. So if you find yourself in a domestic violence situation, you feel empowered to get out. 
Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's good. It seems like in the past couple of years, Planned Parenthood has kind of been a lot under attack from the policy level, from yeah. women's access to abortion, to LGBTQ issues with youth now, to um, even like the sex education that you mentioned with Senate Bill 150. What are some ways that um, like you, your advocates and your policy people and your clinicians are staying like resilient in the face of all of this oh, yeah. negativity coming from Frankfurt? Um, maybe this is a really like basic answer, but like a lot of it is like rest and community, um, which maybe isn't an answer like people would expect me to say, but it's a lot of being with people and being with community in Louisville and talking to them about the issues and being like, okay, Roe fell, what can we do? And a lot of people immediately want to jump to what can we do, but first you have to mourn that you just lost something huge. And I think a lot of people take away that like, there's a lot of emotions that come with losses um, and there's like grief with it too. And um, I think you have to first acknowledge that. And then you move on by being like, okay, so now we're gonna work on policy. What can we do in the political landscape of Kentucky to create legislation that's fair and equitable and just for every Kentuckian? Um, especially because we have so many rural areas who don't have access to OBGYNs. We have one of the biggest OBGYN droughts in the country. Um, so it's really dangerous. And those are things we bring to legislators. So every year we have a lobby day. Um, the Planned Parenthood sponsors, and we bring youth. So we bring like middle, high school, college, like all age demographics to Frankfurt, and we have them meet with legislators, Republicans and Democrats. Although I will say this past legislative session, not many Republicans would respond to us at all. They wouldn't meet with us. They didn't want to hear what we had to say, even though we had one amendment too, mm. um, which was the abortion referendum in Kentucky. Um, and so it's just... I think a lot of the policy stuff, first you have to rest and get into community to really create effective policy, um, especially when you're talking about sensitive topics like abortion or LGBTQ plus rights or reproductive justice. Can I, can I shift? Can we shift a little bit? Yeah. That would, but thank you for sharing that. That was helpful. Um, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, I have a 19 year old, right? And so I'm thinking about the introduction to sexuality. It's part of our conversation mm -hmm. and, and consent. Um, sexuality, then actual introduction to sex, right, mm -hmm. as being two different things. Um, and I'm curious to how plan and Planned Parenthood approaches that, right? So do you teach sexuality first, and then do you kind of educate on what sex is? And, and then what is the healthy space for, I guess, parents, adults to kind of begin that process? Yeah, um, I think our community health educator might have a better understanding of how that works, but I know that we try to make curriculums like for each school based on what that school needs. Mm. So like some schools, they really need to know, like they just need to know the basics and they only have enough time to do like one or two classes. So they're so going to the do basic? like STDs and consent um, okay. or like combining consent and healthy relationships. And then if we can doing some reproductive justice elements within that. So like Creating a PowerPoint, like we don't just have a standard PowerPoint that we just use across the board. We try to really personalize them per like school and what they request that they need. Okay. Um, so like one school might be like, you know, we really need to learn about STDs. But sometimes we get ones that are like, you know, we're having problems and we really need to talk about consent. And so that's how we kind of personalize it. So I can't say like we don't necessarily have a order where we're like, we definitely do sexuality before we do sex. It's all kind of intertwined based on the needs of the school or the demographic or the community center that 
what they need. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Can we talk about um, just? I, I know we've talked a little bit about the the bill for comprehensive sex education. How this mm-hmm. has been such an ongoing issue. So mm-hmm. when I was in my doctoral program, one of the projects that I got to do with ACLU was studying the public schools in JCPS mm-hmm. um, and looking at what type of sex education was being taught. Um, And I was appalled to see the lack of sex education, the, um, I guess, the biases that were being taught, to see the lack of information that some schools were just like, no. And then some, like, classes, like, could be two teachers in the same school teaching completely different things. Oh, yeah. Um, So I have all sorts of issues with that. Um, But just from your perspective, why is, if you could just tell the world, why Mm -hmm. is comprehensive sex education so extremely important for our youth? Yeah, um, I want to touch on that, but first, like, talking about the conservative, like, kind of sex education in JCPS. I went to a public JCPS school um, for high school, um, but it was traditional, and it was very, very conservative, and we were literally told in the classroom, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, or, Mm. um, and stuff like that, Mm. um, and we were told Plan B was a form of abortion, um, Mm. we were told that birth control was a form of abortion, it supported eugenics, (laughs) Um, that's a problem, and this was in, I graduated in 2020, so this was not long ago at all, (laughs) it's like, not Um, like it's years past, right, this is, that's 1950, around the corner, right, and I had, um, when I became a peer educator in 2019 while I was in high school, I was like, hey, we should really, I went to the administration and said, Planned Parenthood has this curriculum. It's free. Please let me come in and do a peer education thing with the Planned Parenthood staff. And they told me no. Yeah. And the health ed- and the health teacher said, absolutely not. So I wrote an article about it in our newspaper and still nothing happened. And they're still, the same health teacher is still teaching that same harmful rhetoric um, and we have been able to get into women history courses at that school and teach birth control, but that is, that is, you know, people who have the ability to take elective classes and have the free time to talk about that. And it should be every student getting that access. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go back to what every young person should know about sex education, um, or learning about it, I mean, it all comes down to you have autonomy with your body and I think that is the biggest point I try to get across in every lesson is that you you have your own body and you no one is allowed to infringe on that with you. And if they do, that crosses a boundary. It's you know it's an unhealthy relationship or it's a cross boundary or it's any of these things. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's about empowerment for people. And it's like you should feel empowered to say yes or no. You should feel empowered to say the name of your own body parts. You should feel empowered to talk about STDs and go to the OBGYN and, you know, talk about periods and all of that stuff, talk about puberty. Um, I would say the biggest takeaway, like, any young person should have is that they should feel empowered about these things. They shouldn't feel shame about these things. Yeah, or fear. Yeah. Um, Did you find in your, um, when you were doing this research that Kentucky actually doesn't have a mandate on comprehensive sex education. They have a mandate that you have to teach sex education, but it doesn't say what has to be in the curriculum. It doesn't say how long it has to be. They could say, well, we talked to them for one day and... Mm And that's all across the board. So if you send your kid to one school, they might you might have two kids, you send them to one school and they get a better education than the other in the same district. Yeah. And I think that goes back to your your conversation about policy and they've been trying to pass this comprehensive sex education for years. Like even when I started working with Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. in 2015, we were trying to get comprehensive sex ed- education mandate in JCPS. So um, we really have to like be mindful of who we are voting in 
um, and who, what are their stances on teaching our kids about sexuality? I mean, yeah. Oh, I'm oh, so sorry. Um, I was going to say one of our most conservative legislators and hateful legislators is in Jefferson County. Mm. Um, so like Representative Jason Nemus really, really does not want this education for Kentuckians. Um, and will not, you know, also really wants harsh abortion bans and things like that. And people will always, you know, people in Louisville specifically will be like, oh, well, it's the rest of the state. Well, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. It is here too. Like Louisville also has its own issues. Um, I mean, like there are more that Louisville could be doing too. Like it's not fair to blame it on the rest of the state. Appalachia is just as important as the city when it comes to abortion access, birth control, sexuality, education, all that stuff. Um, you know, like Appalachia and Louisville both should be in this fight together because we have some pretty regressive legislators in this city. So how do we shift from, because I, I understand that there's definitely a policy issue, but if government doesn't exist, we still have parents. Right. Right. And so as, as parents, we know that parents actually can do more damage than almost anybody else. Mm-hmm. when it comes to sex education, just based on upbringing, previous trauma, experience, life, religion. Mm-hmm. How do we educate our children, or children, right? How do we, all, but also educate parents on what healthy sex lives can be? I had a conversation briefly yesterday when we, when we rapped mm-hmm. um, about a pastor whose son ended up being gay, turned, you know, whatever, and how the family, certain parts of the family could accept it and other parts of the family couldn't accept it. Uh, but the individual I was talking to briefly, you know, was talking about how they came to a real, a new realization, right, about mm-hmm. sexuality, about people, and that people are people, right? And we're all going to have these different experiences, but it's not until that person experienced something new mm-hmm. that they had an opportunity to change their minds and their beliefs. Yeah. You know, so how do, we, how do we still put this back on the ownership of parents? Right, teaching their children about healthy sex lives, um, and this is loaded because I think any of us can jump in here and, and share. But then the other part is also how do we empower our kids? And I love the fact that you all have a peer education space because we know that kids teach kids. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're either teaching right or wrong right. Um, in mm-hmm. that space. So I'm, I'm curious if we could just kind of dive into that before we wrap. Um, how do so? A how do we get parents to get in here and understand sexy health lives? You know, because they don't always, we don't always get it right. Um, And then how do we empower our kids to move forward beyond legislation? From my standpoint, um, I guess my suggestion would be just using your resources. Because I don't expect parents to know everything. You know, like you said, depending on what you were taught, like where you even come from, what your parents taught you, what you observed, that kind of creates your frame of reference. And I think it's important, like I have parents that bring their daughters to me. It's like, can you talk to her about birth control? Can you talk to her about, um, you know, healthy relationships and taking care of your body and all of those things? Because I'm not equipped with the information to give her that. And they sit in the room and they do it as a unit. And I always applaud those parents because not only are you now being educated with the same information as her, you guys have created an open space like for dialogue, for conversation, where now she feels like she can trust you. So it, I think it just changes the entire dynamic of the relationship when parents accept, okay, no, it's not my intention for my child to have sex prior to marriage, if that's what you believe, or at 16 or 15 or whatever. But if that's the choice you're making with your body, 
I want to make sure you have the information that you need to not have an unintended pregnancy or to, you know, contract an STD or whatever. So I think that parents just have to first stop being delusional. Teenagers are having sex. Like, it is statistically, it's been, I mean, for decades. 3% of of 13-year-olds are having sex. 20% 20% of high school freshmen by the time they're high school freshmen and 30% 36% around about sophomores and it just it just continues to go up in that relationship. Yeah, and we now shouldn't I love be shocked. to hear the middle school numbers we don't even think about the middle schoolers mm-hmm. in that yeah. conversation but it's yeah. happening it's there happening. too. And, and so I think parents have to just we got to let that go. It's not what you want. You can you can raise them to to think and behave a certain way but at some point they do have autonomy over their bodies. They're going to make the decisions that they're going to make and you just have to try to make sure that they're safe and that they're making decisions that are not going to impact their future negatively. So that's my soapbox for that. Got you, got you. Reese, what's your thoughts? I would, I think that Ashley's thoughts are my thoughts. Um, The examining, parents examining their own shame and guilt around sexuality mm-hmm. and those topics and educating themselves so that they are equipped to educate. And if they realize that they're not equipped to educate, reaching out to the people who are. Like, we have Planned Parenthood. It exists. Mm-hmm. A lot of their services are free. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. can, like, reach out to those resources, use those resources, reach out to your OBGYN, use those resources, find a sex educator in the city. It's hard to find, but we're out here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> um, but everything you said, just recognize that it's happening and and try to give them the best tools possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha, for gotcha. sure. I mean, I also see, um, like, f- from a policy and as a peer educator and all that standpoint, like, I think schools need to pick up where parents drop the ball because not every child has the same mm-hmm. um, relationship with their parents. And, yeah. you know, I grew up with a single parent who worked, like, all the time, like, 50 hours a week. And so, you know, like, um, and I love my dad to death. He's awesome. Um, but... He definitely, like, didn't have time to sit down and research and talk about all these things with me as much as I know he probably would have. Um, And, you know, I had friends whose parents were in and out of rehab or in and out of prison or there's, like, aspects like that that a lot of people are like, well, why should schools do it? Just leave it to the parents. And it's like, well, not every child in the state. Actually, we have some of the highest cases of child abuse in the country. Um, Not every child has that relationship. They don't have that support you know, what about the kids in the foster care system? Like, where are they going to get that education? And it it honestly is like, when I talk about equitable sex ed, it's not just me saying, oh, we need a, a blank statement like policy. It means we need ongoing conversations. We need ongoing sex education in all forms, like whether it's at like all public schools, private schools, like in community centers, at YMCA safe places, like all over we need this conversation to be happening so it's an equitable conversation. And we're not only reaching those who already have parents that are talking about it or, you know, not everyone has access to an OBGYN, so like they're not going to be able to talk about birth control in a confidential space, Um, that we really need to create those spaces and let them be known and accessible. Because even the term like access is hard because, you know, who has access to actually being able to reach out to a a sex educator or thinks of that? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like we have to create these opportunities for other people and let them show up as they can um, and as they are. So as we as we we got a couple minutes here and, and I'm curious because, you know, as we were having this conversation and we've we've danced all the way around this from adults to policy to kids. Um, and, and I think that I know as much as when we were younger, we talked about sex a lot, even when we didn't know what it was. Right. Yeah. Um, the act of sex. But the, the whole idea of, of seeing your first breast was exciting. Right. Oh, look. Um, 
It was. And most, it, right. See, there it is, right? Let's enjoy that for a moment. Um, but it opens up so many different doors, and most kids want to talk about sex. Um, but I would, I would go on a guess and say most households, atmospheres, even in school, right? Mm-hmm. Our teachers are not prepared to allow children to explore that through through whatever means they need to explore it. Yeah. What are what are two or three things? And I gotta imagine it's different for young men versus young girls, young women, right? Um, what are what are three things that people, not just parents, not just sex educators, people can do to have and engage children to allow that conversation to happen the way they want it to happen? Yeah. Um, so three things to engage young people in talking about sex. Yes. Um, I mean. I think first and foremost, like one of my favorite activities we do at Planned Parenthood is to like get all the silliness out about talking about penis and vaginas and stuff like that. But I think one of the most beneficial things is to, is for young people to know their anatomical parts, including like where a clitoris is, where a G-spot is, like knowing all of that, because pleasure is just as important as like talking about safety. Um, And so um, I think doing that, um, we have an activity where we have the word elbow written up on a piece of paper, um, breasts, and then um, penis and vagina. And we have them write down all the nicknames they can think of for all of this. You know, like middle schoolers, they think it's hilarious and, you know, it really gets all of that out. But then we sit down and we're like, well, why is there maybe like two nicknames for elbow, but there are 10 to 20 for vagina and penis? And then they're really thinking about it and they're like, you know, like, yeah, like we should not stigmatize these parts and that, you know, we don't have to say a nickname, we can just say it. Um, and so I think one of the very first important things is to get that out of the way and be like, you can say your own anatomical parts um, as they are. Um, the next is, we've talked about it a couple times, but like empowerment, like being, feeling empowered that you can say, yes, I want to do this, or yes, this feels good, yes, this doesn't, or no, this doesn't feel good. Um, being able to say, you know what, like I, I feel empowered to go get STD tested. Like empowerment takes on a lot of different roles. I feel empowered to go to the OBGYN and talk about birth control. Um, or, you know, my partner feels empowered to go like learn about birth control and let me know my options and things like that because it takes two. Um, and so, I mean, the third thing is just, that's hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would say um, just being in community, which maybe is like an odd thing to think about when you think about like sex education, but feeling like you can talk to your peers, having peers that, you know, may have be more informed about it, you know, like feeling like you can be in community with other people and it's comfortable to talk about this topic and we're not stigmatizing sex as a whole that, you know, you can talk about it. Or if you have a bad sexual experience that you can talk about it with your close community, um, that you have the resources and the willingness and the autonomy to do that. I get it. I dig it. Thank you. That yeah. is awesome. Any other takeaways? What y'all thinking? Doc. I mean, I'm thinking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about the dolphins. Yeah. just kind of kicked this whole thing off. But, you know, I I feel like, especially in the state, um, we have we have a lot of conservative people that are fearful of having conversations about sex education, about um, giving people access to abortions and all this stuff. And, and to me, the logical way to stop abortion is to educate people, to give teenagers and, and youth, like give them access to information to teach yeah. them how to take care of their bodies, how to protect themselves, and give them access to birth control. And then that goes away. Like the need for those 
hard decisions that women have to find themselves in is virtually unnecessary if we would do our part on the other end and make sure they have access to birth control and good education. So it frustrates me. Like, it's like you, it, you're putting people in this cycle that is unnecessary. And the people that tend to get hemmed up in that the most are black women. So yeah. I'm over it. Black I got and brown you. communities. I would say I'm walking away feeling very hopeful about the future because we do have teens um, and young people like Lexi who are going out there and leading this charge of things need to be different. Things need to change. There are different people out here. We all are having different types of sex and um, that being in community piece that you talked about is really important because you are hearing everyone's experience and we're not just having this one monolithic experience that we're kind of being forced to believe is happening. Everybody's having sex in this way. Everybody has sex with these kinds of people. Um, And if you stray outside of that, you're different. So I'm really hopeful about the work that the youth are doing. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I would say the biggest thing I wish, I wish people would stop thinking everything's in the past because we have a lot of work to do for the future. Um, I mean, when you talk about, like, marginalized communities, black women, like, the black maternal mortality rate is absolutely, it's terrifying. Um, And just the the maternal mortality rate in America is absolutely terrifying. And it's something everyone thinks, oh, no, that's a problem of 50 years ago. No, that's a problem right now because black women are dying and that that alone is important to care about um, and to stand up for. So I think when we talk about sex education, we really just need to talk about how it's a now issue and it's a future issue. It's not a past issue. On that note, I, I, I want to say this because as a, as a father and a man who raised a woman, um, and I know a lot of the challenges that we face society and in society tend to fall back on women. And I hope that we have more mothers and more fathers who educate their sons to be better, better people. Um, and understand what, what masculinity actually is, and that we'll maybe get into that in a different world, but prepare men to be with women, right, in, in a way that's healthy for both. And I think sometimes we, we forget to teach boys about pleasure, um, mm-hmm. both for themselves and both for their mate. I think we forget to educate boys on um, their body as a whole, right, because sometimes we just see the penis as a pole. Right, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's a little bit more dynamic than that. Yeah. Um, and we won't cover it in this space, but I, I hope that you all at Planned Parenthood are doing that, and that um, again we can just raise our children to be better better humans um, and better people. I appreciate you being here today. Yeah, yeah thank you for having me. Y'all are awesome. Absolutely, <laughs> this has been a healthy conversation. Whether you're listening to it on our podcast, where you get podcasts, or you're watching it on social media, YouTube, or website. We appreciate you tuning in. Throw in some comments. If we didn't touch on something that you would like to hear or you would like to engage or you just want to leave us a message, please do. We would do our best to get back with you. This has been um, our whole conversation about how we talk to our youth um, about sex, sex life, pleasure, um, so that they may grow up and enjoy life better than we do. This is Common Combo. Let's talk about sex. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. This program is supported by the Health Equity Innovation Hub at the University of Louisville. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the funder.